Thank you, as always, for listening to Caleb vs. Self. Today, I get a chance to speak with Steve Zoller, president of the Upstate New York Homebrewers Association. We talk about the impact of the homebrew community and the growth of microbrews in the last decade. We talk about the events, competitions, and community that they've been growing there since 1978. And we talk about how coronavirus has affected the association for both good and bad. If you want to learn more or join, please visit unyha.com or find them on Facebook at Upstate New York Homebrewers Association. Steve was a fantastic conversation, learned a lot about what they do, especially when it comes to judging, a very involved process there. But uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this conversation and uh, be on the lookout for more. And always, I know I've already said it, Steve, but thank you for hopping on. Got Steve with me, the president of the Upstate New York Homebrewers Association. Uh, again, thank you for coming on, man. You're welcome. Happy to be here. So, first and foremost, for for folks who may not be aware, uh, what exactly is home brewing? Um, do you want the short answer or the long answer? Whichever one you would rather give. So let's let's do the short answer. All right. Um, the basics of home brewing are relatively simple. Um, if you start off with how I started, I found a little pamphlet in, um, a bookstore about how to homebrew. And this was in the early seventies. So I went down to this local star market in Cambridge, picked up a can of, um, malt extract. Uh, it had a packet of yeast tape to the top of it, brought it home, followed the directions, boiled up some uh, what they call wort, boiled up the makings of beer, put it in a carboy that was my from my local uh, Belmont Springs spring water company, the old glass things in the dispenser, which a lot of uh, a lot of people had in Cambridge because the water was so crappy. And gotcha. I fermented it, and um, it turned out interesting, uh, but rather painful to drink. Uh, but back then, there was so little information on how to make home brewing, it wasn't funny. Uh, so I took a vacation from home brewing for more than a quarter uh, century, uh, and then picked it up around 2001. But the basics are you take a, a simple way to do it is you take a malt extract, you boil it, um, you chill it off, you put it in a fermenter with yeast, let it ferment typically a week, sometimes longer, and then you bottle it. Most people uh, most people that start out are bottling. Uh, bottling can be a bit of an arduous process, but um, it's simple and easy. And uh, a home brewer can start off with, you know, maybe a hundred bucks uh, of equipment um, and make okay beer. Uh, so that's, and the basics of extract brewing are, are simple and easy to follow. Um, then the more complicated thing is to do all grain brewing, which of course is how all of the breweries do it. And, but even in, in the, um, uh, the American Homebrewers Association, it was a better part of a, a decade after they organized before the best of show in their annual competitions was actually made from an all grain recipe. Previously, it was extract and uh, what they call steeped grains. Basically, you steep grains in um, in hot water for uh, half an hour to an hour to 
get different flavors into the liquid uh, and then you set it up to boil and add your extract. But so it's gone from really basic to really sophisticated. And if you pick up a homebrew uh, publication these days, they have all of these automatic systems. You can uh, do small scale systems that you can fit on your kitchen counter. Uh, so it's, it's really changed dramatically. Um, when I first started home brewing, you know, there were some people doing uh, all grain and some of them had some really nice systems. Uh, expensive, but um, really powerful, very, you know, very good quality and all of that. But uh, it's changed dramatically and there's something for everybody. You can go simple, you can go sophisticated, you can go uh, automatic almost. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to make homebrew. So with homebrew, you're just, the goal essentially is just to make whatever type of, uh, whether it's beer or cider or something to that effect, to, to taste a certain way, just at your own level. Yeah, and you know it's a sense of accomplishment. In the early mm-hmm. days, a lot of people were homebrewing simply because there weren't many good uh, craft brews out there. You know, if you look at the 70s, when I first started to homebrew, um, I had spent a little time in California right around the times Anchor Steam beer uh, became a thing. Um, uh, Fritz Maytag sort of rescued that company from oblivion. They just had wretched beer for a while. And then Fritz came along and cleaned up the operation. It was sold only in kegs to restaurants around the Bay Area. And he he, uh, fixed things really well and actually started bottling. And I worked in a restaurant there, and we were one of the first restaurants on the East Bay to serve Anchor Steam in bottles. And that was the great beer. And anybody that liked beer, that was the go-to beer. And I moved to the East Coast. There was nothing. Mm. (laughs) You know, there were imports. And uh, actually, the only... um, decent beer I could buy in the early 70s in Boston was Yingling, but you couldn't even buy it in Boston. A friend of mine would go to uh, Pennsylvania once a month and fill up his pickup truck with uh, with beer and uh, bring it back and sell it for two or three times what he paid for it, and people would gladly pay for it, <laughs> pay that price, but he bought it directly from uh, from Yingling, so he got you know the distributor price or whatever. Wow. So even back then, although there wasn't a craft brew scene, people were still paying top dollar to get something other than whatever was around. Well, um, those that really liked good good beer, yes. Of course, how many people in the Boston area were getting uh, beer from my friend Charlie, who just had a pickup truck full of beer? (laughs) <laughs> okay, fair point. <laughs> so it's among among a small uh, group of people, uh, but and, and at that time it was more you know there was a concentration on uh, if for quality it would be imports. You know people preferred uh, Canadian beers, Molson and Labatt, to a lot of the uh, macro brews from the U.S. Um, and I think Guinness has always been a beer that a lot of people had. A, a deep respect to, for, and I still do. That was actually the first um, really well-made commercial beer that I ever tried, and it was only because my 
British girlfriend in college uh, said, hey, you got to have this. <laughs> okay. So when you're doing, I mean, I guess for you then, let's talk about how you got into it. Obviously, back in the in the 70s, you gave it a shot. Wasn't necessarily your thing. What pulled you back in, you know, 25 years later? Um, well, there was one step in between. I worked for uh, a food company down in Virginia, and one the top technical guy um, turned out was a home brewer. And every once in a while, he would uh, uh, bless me with one of his brews. Uh, about that time, I discovered Brooklyn Chocolate Stout. And Jeff made a stout that was as good or better than that. And I just was blown away by Brooklyn. And I was also blown away from uh, Jeff's operation. Uh, I never went and saw his operation. I really regret it. And he told me he had a, like a 25-gallon setup, which is really big for a home brewer. Usually okay. it's yeah. five-gallon batches or something. Right. Um, but he... he, he he blessed me with a number of beers, so I knew it was possible. Um, fast forward to when I moved up here, a coworker um, had bought a homebrew kit from Cottage Brewing, uh, which doesn't exist anymore, up in Rochester, and thought it would be cool to try it. And after he read the instructions, he decided it wasn't for him. And so I found these bits and pieces of a homebrew kit in the backseat of my car one day when I went to leave work. Uh, I, I worked in an area where no one locked their cars. So, Oh, okay. okay. David talked about this. So David, it's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now, I, now uh, a very dedicated homebrewer. So that's how I started. Um, the, back then, um, I had tried a few batches, even called my friend Jeff down in Virginia and said, hey, Jeff, what am I doing wrong? Uh, and he gave me a few pointers. And then I came across a beer column in the Rochester Times-Dispatch. Uh, excuse me. I'm confu confusing them. Uh, Democrat and Chronicle. Gotcha. Um, yep. And I, that was the Richmond paper. Anyway, um, a, they, they, it was a beer column. And so I emailed these guys and said, hey, is there some kind of club around here? And they told me about Uniha. So I went online, figured out where they were, and showed up to the first meeting, and it was all downhill from there. <laughs> and long story short, you are now the president, if I'm not mistaken, of of, of that association, correct? Yeah. Um, we, have, we elect uh, new officers every year, and our bylaws call for a president who serve only one year in uh, – uh, one year at a time, meaning you can come back two years later and uh, run again. Uh, however, I've by default, I've been president for almost two years now simply because we haven't had an in-person meeting to vote. So that's coming up in June, and hopefully we'll, we'll get that settled so I don't have to be president anymore. <laughs> uh, but there's a, number of, uh, there's a number of members that have served as presidents many times. Um, and we hoped we hope to have uh, get new blood. We've got, you know, I I was very pleased to see a few years ago a number of much younger people than myself stepping up to the plate and uh, joining the board, running for the board, and and doing some good things. We have some really dedicated members, 
some really good beer judges. There's a beer judge certification program, and we've got probably a dozen or so certified judges. And these are, you know, um, sort of, you have to have certification by, by t passing a whole bunch of exams. Um, I am not a certified judge, uh, but I really have a lot of respect for how well these people uh, work in, um, in competitions. Uh, number one, I have a lousy sense of s smell, but I also downloaded <laughs> one of the exams for this thing. And it, there's uh -huh. a lot of brew history and style questions and all that. And I went, it, they had a sample exam. I went through about two or three pages of it and couldn't answer a single question. I said, okay, I'm just going to learn how to brew beer. Forget about trying to judge. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so it's a pretty that. involved process. Yeah. Then to, uh, to they, yeah. That. Yeah, people people study for these, and uh, before they have um, have exams, um, sometimes the, there will be some kind of training session that uh, one of the members might lead for if there's enough members interested in a training session beforehand. So let's talk about this past year. Obviously, COVID hit, and your your or uh, association, it being a very social one, right? The need to be in yep. person to taste beers and have those conversations, I'm sure has been uh, quite a negative impact. I, I found you actually and reached out to you through the Rochester City newspaper, which talked about how the sale of these, and correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially like uh, kits, box kits for making beer and all sorts of other stuff, those sales have gone up, I assume, because people are sitting at home and they've got nothing else to right. do. It's the same reason why they're making bread. But are you hoping that that translates into more members or a more robust community when you guys are able to meet in person? Um, I, I believe that will happen. I, I'm not, uh, I, I must admit I haven't, I, I wasn't aware that beer kits were selling uh, much better than before. Then again, I, I haven't asked. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm not, I don't have that kind of curiosity on, on the commercial end. I just, like to brew, um, but that's that's that's, that's a really good sign because that those brew kits, especially like if you go into Sunset Hydroponics, they, they have you know a whole section. It's a wall of uh, I think it's called Brewers Best is the brand, and a number of members have said they've tried those kits and they work really well, um, and that's a really good place for um, the starting home brewer to. Uh, begin to learn the basics of home brewing so that's that's a great place to start uh but anyway getting back to the um pre and post covid um i do hope in fact that it does increase interest um and it's the younger home brewers that sort of give life to it uh and i think challenge some of the older home brewers to make sure uh we're inclusive we try to reach out to them and you know offer help however we can you know hey guys you have any questions about home brewing go see uh, adam over there in the corner because he's one of our resident experts right have you guys ever done anything like um you know obviously you have to some degree partnerships with with different uh places like sunset hydroponics have you guys ever tried to like see if you could get like a little flyer on those boxes or, you know what I mean? So that when somebody takes one home, if they decide, Hey, this is really cool. I kind of want to learn more about it. Bam. I've got the information to reach out to 
you know, potentially a community of people who, who do this mm. regularly and have done it regularly for a, a, a long period of time? Um, not really. When we have a competition, uh, of course, Sunset will have a poster that we print up that, uh, mm-hmm. and we try to get it up a few months ahead of time. Um, but you, you bring up a good point, and maybe I should uh, talk with the Sunset uh, folks about just putting a, up a poster once we start having regular meetings of course <clears throat> right right <laughs> uh that so that uh homebrewers will know that there is indeed a club yeah because i so think that, for that's a an excellent people, su- suggestion thank you yeah not a problem i think for a lot of people it's it's easy to start right you can go buy the kit right but the 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 gap in between the kit and being able to kind of you know, be a part of a community and do it on a regular basis is is something that um, a, a lot of people don't know how to get from point B to point C. They can find point A, um, but right. that might, you know, increase, you know, the amount of people that attend and, and, and maybe create a bit more of a, you know, robust homebrewing community. I mean, I know my wife, um, where she works for their kind of, you know, thank you for dealing with COVID type of thing to their employees. They had actually purchased things like uh, cider and beer homebrewing kits to give out to people because they said that they were into it. They, they were doing it at home. So they, they said, okay, if that's what people are doing, let's spend some money and give them some more uh, you know, supplies or, or kits or whatever it is that they need to uh, you know, be able to do something at home. So um, you know, I, I hope that it translates into you know, more members or new faces for you guys and your organization. Um, it seems to have, if I'm not mistaken, and I know we briefly talked about it before, but there also seems to be a direct correlation between all of your home brewers there and people starting microbreweries or breweries in upstate New York. Uh, I know briefly we talked about, um, excuse me, Swiftwater uh, being one of them, and then you had said, well, uh, you know, how many do you want? I've got a whole list, <laughs> it sounds like. Can you talk about that transition, how sure. somebody goes yep. from being a home brewer into, you know, a microbrewer or however it's described. Yeah. Well, um, not going back in history, um, Sierra Nevada, Ken Grossman was a home brewer, you know, and look what they have now. Uh, that's a, that's a, a great example. And there was actually one small brewery that was started in Northern California before uh, Sierra Nevada. The name escapes me now. Uh, but, that was also a home brewer that um, started up, lasted a few years, and then uh, closed up shop. But going locally, when I first came to the area, the only um, microbrewery uh, was Rohrbach Brewing. Yep. And uh, they had been around for quite a while, and they're still here and they're doing a great job. Now they have two locations. Um, but they were really the only game in town then uh, i believe uh custom brew crafting came along and i don't i i believe their brewer jason fox was a home brewer i just can't say for sure if that's the case sure um but uh after that then a number of other people started uh, uh their own brewery uh one was fairport brewing the original was paul garasini who's now um the owner of uh, Sager Beer Works, uh, Paul partnered up with another individual to start uh, Fairport, uh, and that operation did did quite well. And then there was a disagreement between the partners. But um, then, going a few steps further, um, 
Let's see. I know, uh, oh God, make a dub. Dave Schlosser uh, was a home brewer. I believe he was a member of the club way, way, way back when. And he went on to work at um, Genesee. I think he did work for Rohrbach for a while and uh, a few other places, then started Naked Dove. Um, ben Meso uh, is a guy that was a member of our club, and he got best of show one year. And a year later, he was New York State Homebrewer of the Year. And then the next thing I know, um, there's an operation just outside of Syracuse, uh, Prison City Brewing, that's starting up. And he goes and applies for the job of head brewer. And the owners were totally blown away by Ben, simply because he brought like a dozen different styles of beer with him, all the proper glassware to go with it. And the owners are just like, are you kidding me? We got to hire this guy. It, sure. was, it was just no, no question about it. And in the interim, uh, when uh, Ben w Ben worked uh, second shift or something, so he'd always show up to the meetings late. But every time I would see him walk into the uh, into the meeting, and everybody'd be standing around sharing beers at that point, the business meeting was long over. He would, I'd see him out of the corner of my eye and uh, quietly excuse myself from whatever conversation I was having, and go over and say, "Hey Ben, what'd you bring?" <laughs> Because <laughs> he had the most dynamite beers, uh, just a phenomenal brewer. Um, then uh, a few years later, the guy that brought home the most medals was, was Andy Cook. And uh, probably a year or so later, uh, I heard that he's building a brewery. And next thing you know, there's Swiftwater. And he, he's he's done an awful lot. He's a... I, if I can give him the label of locavore, um, sure. the wood bar is from wood that was harvested from his parents' property about an hour away. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, he, the, his base malts are bought, are grown also. I believe by his parents and maybe he gets it from elsewhere and then he has it malted somewhere in New York state. Uh, and so that's all coming local way back when there were vegetables coming local for anything that was uh, prepared in the kitchen. Um, he's, uh, he's done a really good job. He does some uh, barrel fermentation too. And you walk in there and there's all these barrels piled up, piled up along the wall. And every once in a while, he'll release a new sour, and those are usually wonderful, too. He's very experimental, uh, very upfront about uh, trying things, uh, and uh, even is willing to admit a mistake. He was um, interviewed on WXXI with a few other local brewers and uh, even talked about some some brew that he tried that just failed miserably. And <laughs> I was amazed sure. that he, had, he uh, was humble enough to say, yeah, I blew it. No, people typically won't, won't bring up their mistakes unless asked about them. Uh, sure. But he was forthcoming on that. Um, and then uh, let's see who else. 
we have, uh, of course, Paul is in his second uh, operation now. Um, Battle Street Brewing down in Dansville. Uh, that's Denny Bohr. He he's a, been a member for uh, many years. Um, then uh, Steve Landgren uh, is the head brewer over at Faircraft Brauhaus. Now they just opened up their um, tasting room uh, restaurant operation. They just had to, to go before that. Uh, but that's more of um, German style beers. Um, and there's a number of other uh, uh, breweries in the Rochester area that have had some uh, uh, affiliation with us. Uh, Iron Tug, um, what's the place out uh, on 104 East, uh, well, west of town? Um, Jesus, the name escapes me right to, now. I should have, excuse me? To think with you. Yeah. Um, many of these breweries have, are, you know, are people that are current or former members of the club. So what is it about the club that, I mean, is it, does it have to do more with the club or does it have to do more with the fact that the whole microbrew market has just grown? It feels like exponentially the last decade. Oh, it's grown like crazy. Um, and it's, there's synergy there. Obviously, you know, the, there's clearly people are home brewing and then they just, uh, decide that's not enough for them and they got to go big and they want to become a, make that their life's work. And there, there is a lot of support, you know, home brewers don't go out and buy, uh, 12 packs of butt. Sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. They just don't, uh, they'll, they'll go and buy the, the locally produced beer or the, the best, um, craft beer from anywhere in the U S Canada, Europe, or wherever. Um, the, so there's a, a synergy there that exists and, uh, I think they feed off of each other really. And as a result of that, um, you get more exposure to people that, used to drink the the yellow fizzy stuff and have adventured into other things but and typically from exposure by friends is is that how uh home brewers or craft brewers typically describe your your major labels yellow fizzy stuff um that's complimentary <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> that's being What's... tactful and uh gracious yeah, okay what what is it about um, the community within your brewing association there that makes it uh, so special? Is it just the fact that people are more willing to support local and, and people that they know? Is it, is that a large part of it, or is there something else that that I might be missing? Uh, supporting local people, uh, obviously. Uh, I think um, I think COVID has even made that even more important. Uh, you know. It, so many of the uh, brew pubs had to close down to the public other than pickup. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them were filling crawlers, uh, you know, and, and responding in any way they could to keep their business going. And I think a lot of people, um, uh, a, a lot of consumers decided, yeah, we got to support them and probably did more purchasing uh, from, from those local businesses than they, than they did before. As you know, I, all of a sudden you realize how valuable that is. So I think there is a lot of community support and community pride. 
you know, hey, we've got this great brewery over there on wherever. And um, that I, I think anyone that likes beer and, well, likes good beer and is aware of all of these um, opportunities, uh, all of these businesses around, are going to want to support them whenever they can. Not everybody has deep pockets. Um, the stuff is, uh, the, the beer is not um, as uh, economical to buy as the yellow fizzy stuff, but uh, the quality's there. And uh, I think people are, more and more people are responding to quality. That's the most important thing. And gotcha. people are going for quality. At the same time, uh, they feel good about um, buying local. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's probably part of the story, you know, like you had just described about, um, um, my apologies, is it uh, st- uh, Stillwater? Sorry. Swiftwater. Swiftwater, Close. I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, I've made that mistake too. <laughs> well, for Swiftwater, you describing, um, you know, him as a locavore and getting, you know, lumber from his family's land, you know, not too far from here and, and really focusing on the local aspect of it gives it a really unique and cool story. And I feel like people, when they purchase you know, or make a purchase, I should say, from that establishment, they're kind of purchasing a part of the story in a way. Right. What yes, is it absolutely. with the, um, I'm sorry, for so for the community, the actual brewing community, you do a lot of educational work, a lot of uh, training, a lot of questions uh, within that group. You also do um, judging, as you've talked about a couple of times. In that judging process, and it's, we were talking about it briefly before. It's pretty simple for what you guys do, right? It's the it's the poker chip or the token right. system. Yeah. So for that, okay. um, sorry, Steve, go ahead. Sure. Let's let's talk about the different kinds of uh, competitions that we do. Um, yeah. First of all, um, under normal conditions, uh, out of our twelve monthly meetings, six will have what we call Brewer of the Month, where scheduled way ahead people will have many months to prepare but uh, you'll brew according to a certain style such as an american's pale ale a stout or a wheat beer whatever and so people will brew bring in a half gallon and that'll get judged uh, later on in the meeting but pre-meeting we also have technical training sessions and that will be based on the style that's going to be judged uh, an hour or so later so People will have a handout. These are the style guidelines. These, it should taste like this. You should have some hop aroma, yada, yada, yada. And they'll even have a commercial example uh, of that beer. If it's an American pale ale like Sierra Nevada would be a good bet. Um, And they'll taste that. And then, you know, an hour later, we have this up to a, a dozen pictures of everybody's homebrew. Uh, where you go and they're all numbered and you go and taste them and decide which one fits the category the best. And uh, you throw a poker chip into the bag behind the uh, the pitcher and whoever gets the most votes wins, wins half the money. <laughs> and that's for the uh, brewer of the month, right? Yeah, what well, we call brewer of the month. And then uh, whoever gets the most uh, uh, points at the end of the year, becomes the home brewer of the year 
and they get the other half of the money collected from the chips. So it, it's a fun, th fun deal. Um, and, you know, we've had uh, one guy has won, geez, I want to say two or three years in a row. And this past year, we didn't get the last one in. So we haven't awarded it yet. But uh, it looks like uh, it's I, I think it's tied or darn close to tied for uh, first place from uh, some fairly newer members, which is always a good thing. So you've got you've got people just honing their skills and uh, learning how to brew better and doing some very good brews. So that's exciting. Uh, yeah. And I saw a lot of competition that past year, too. You know, there were at one point there were two brewers that just hadn't had, you know, we were at five months and they were like I, they were tied or maybe one, you know, one chip off or something. It was amazing. Right. And so that's what we do on a monthly basis. Then annually, um, under normal circumstances, Certainly. we'll have we'll have our club homebrew, uh, our homebrew club annual meet, uh, annual competition rather. That we have uh, a great relationship with Genesee Brewing. They have uh, hosted our competitions for three or four years, and they have a huge tasting room uh, at their facility that they let us use on Saturday and for doing all of our competition. And that has worked out really, really well. Uh, there's lots of space. It's quiet. Um, they, we actually truck the refrigerator. We use one of their refrigerated warehouses um, you know, of course, two blocks away, <laughs> and then right. and drag the beer over. Uh, they they have been just wonderful to work with. And I know Genesee. I, I have, I don't uh, don't know this firsthand, but I know Genesee has been part of uh, what they call a 585 club, and that's Genesee um, getting together with a lot of the local um, uh, local brew pubs. And I know Andy has talked about uh, dealing with them, and it's basically they're there. They are supporting the uh, the local brew pubs. You know, they they exchange technical information. You know, we'll give. Uh, I I believe they ha they'll do t some tastings and stuff like that. So Genesee is really, um, you know, they're granted they're huge. But boy, they are very, very supportive of uh, of the brewing industry, the local uh, local homebrew uh, clubs, and also the local uh, small breweries. That's so pretty it's cool. A, yeah, there. Uh, I don't know what it is about brewing, but boy, people are really friendly with each other. You know, you can be a competitor, <laughs> but you can also uh, you can also help each other and share information. When it comes to that, particularly to your association, are there like different, I'm going to call them groups of people. It's probably not the right term, but are there, you know, subsects within your association where you've got people who are more focused on brewing and they actively brew all the time. And then maybe another sect of people who are uh, more prefer to like judge. They, they like to learn about judging and be able to try different beers and judge them. And then maybe there's another category of people who are just there for the community. Do, do you have that within your, uh, within your association? Uh, yes. Um, there's a number of members that I'm pretty sure haven't either 
um, haven't brewed in a long time or maybe never brewed, but they're at the same time, they're certified judges. Right. right. So they're, <laughs> and, they're and so, important. you know, it's a good thing they're there. Right. So, <laughs> I, I can brew okay, but I sure as heck can't judge. So I'm glad there's uh, people like that there. And so, yeah, that there is that. And I'm, I'm thinking of a few people now that I, I'm pretty sure they don't brew, but they're members of the club and they show up and they enjoy being there and they're great company. So yeah. uh, there, there's a bit of everything there. Well, you need, like you said, right? You need kind of all of those facets for it to work the way it has. Yeah. When it comes to being a member or being more involved within your association, is it as simply as paying the due and showing up? Or is there more to it? Is there an application process? Is there something else that has to be done to become a member? <laughs> um, absolutely no application process. <laughs> well, I gotta ask. You never know. You Steve. just go. You, you just go online. Hey, anybody that's listening, go to unihog.com. Uh, click up at the top right, I believe. Um, it'll say log on just go to that and it'll be a new member whatever you can register as a new member pay your 30 bucks uh annual dues using paypal and guess what you're in yeah it's i'm doing it right now i'm on right now it looks like it's uh 30 dollars for right. one year a for year. a single yeah. and 50 for a couple there you go look at that and it's really unique because even on your site, you've got a lot of, you've got homebrew resources, you have links that go to other places, whether it right. is judging the certification program, whether it's supplies, tools, software, yep. good local beer, as you have pointed out, there's quite a few on here. Um, it's a really and unique And we probably and, need and to nice update resource. that. Sure. Sure. When is, I mean, everything all being equal, it sounds like you guys are hoping to start getting back together in June. Is that the, the, the timeline that you're hoping to uh, stay to? That that would be good because that would work with our annual elections and all of that. But, you know, if it ends up being later, um, and that's fine, too. Yeah, some, someone needs to replace me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. And I, I'm certainly, uh, uh, I've, I've been active in the club uh, most of the time I've been there. For our annual competitions, I've usually headed up what they call the prize committee, where you uh, solicit uh, donations from uh, from homebrew shops. As a matter of fact, you know, Sunset, for instance, gives us um, gift certificates every year. The two homebrew shops on the uh, in uh, Syracuse and Buffalo also donate in their drop-off locations. We have a lot of cooperation from local businesses, uh, and and that helps as well. Well, that's fantastic. I may have gone off the topic. You were also saying no. oh, about membership. Yeah. And, and you know, we at meetings um, frequently we say, uh, hey, guys, volunteer for something. You know, there's plenty of things. When we have a competition, we need judges. We need stewards. We need people, cellar masters, people who just move, you know, 50 cases of beer and sort it out uh things sure. of that nature there's just all kinds of things that happen with that um and other other members will volunteer to do uh to head up a technical technical session for instance or sometimes uh a, a group outside 
uh, asked if we would do a homebrew demonstration somewhere at a you know an outside fair or something like that, and occasionally uh, that comes up and s- someone will volunteer to do that. If you don't mind, I'd like to step back a little bit and ask you a little more about these technical classes, because it sounds like part of that jump that I was talking about earlier from point C to point B might include a lot of these technical classes. So when you refer to them as technical classes, are they specific to making a certain type of beer? Is it like equipment that you guys talk about? What is it in the technical classes that you guys cover? Or is it different all the time? Um. It's different all the time. So uh, we'll separate one thing. There are six months of beer judge training that are style specific, and that's judging beer. So that's not process oriented at all. Um, So the others would be uh, technical things, uh, kegging, bottling. Um, I don't think we've done anything. uh, Water. Water is a key issue. And uh, we've done, uh, in the past, we've done sessions on... um, Okay, you here's Rochester water. You need to know where your Rochester water is coming from because I believe there's a few sources. Now I don't. I, it's not an issue for me, so I I must admit I don't pay much attention uh, to what that was all about. Uh, but that's a critical, very very critical thing. If you're doing um, all grain brewing, your water has to be good. Uh, that's one thing. Um, uh, fermentation control, uh, mashing. I, I actually, I want to throw in a, um, uh, one session of maybe, uh, an online session next month of, okay, how to avoid stuck mashes with is when you're doing all grain brewing, that is the, uh, the devil that comes up and bites you in the butt that make, that makes for a horrible brewing day. I mean, stuck mash is when the the liquid that's in with the grain stops draining out the bottom of the pot, of the brew pot. Okay. Um, you you need to yeah. It, it, this is a technical. I, thing, I might but need to go to a class. It's, it, it's the bane. <laughs> it's the bane of uh, grain of all grain brewers. Uh, the first time I did an all grain brew, stuck mash. <laughs> And it's something. There's lots of things you can do to uh, to avoid it, and I've learned that over the years. And I think it would be worth uh, sharing with with other people, especially those that are just beginning to do all grain brewing. That's an example. Gotcha. I was doing some research on home brewing, and it seems like one of the bigger ones that people mess up on and this is completely anecdotally just based on me going on youtube and and researching articles but just something as simple as the cleanliness of bottles oh yeah can ruin your brew it seems like uh yeah um brewing is sanitation 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 um you it, it is very important once once the beer is chilled and you know you go and Going from that point into fermentation and then from there to bottling or kegging, everything better be super, super clean. So make sure there's, the surfaces are clean, first of all. Just the first thing you do is make sure everything's clean. It's crystal clean, inspect it and all of that, and then sanitize it. There's um, a number of uh, sanitizers you can buy at the local homebrew shop that work quite well. Uh, and just be really careful. Uh, they're... 
one of our online technical sessions recently was pressure transfer so that no air, there's no air exposure when you transfer your beer from your fermenter to your keg. So that, that's getting really, um, that's uh, somewhat technical and it's also only for those that have more sophisticated equipment. Sure. If you're just uh, fermenting in a in a bucket and bottling, a uh, whole different ball game. Yeah, you're going to have oxygen exposure. Yes, um, you need to be careful. But uh, there, also the oxygen exposure is an issue that you want to avoid if you can, because your beer will oxidize faster. So that's that's a little different from sanitation, but. Uh, it, the more air that your beer is exposed to before it goes in the bottle, then uh, you'll have a bit less of a shelf life. Right. It, it can probably impact things like the flavor yeah. or the overall niceness is what I would call it of the beer. Overall um, niceness. Yep. <laughs> very technical term, Steve. I'm a very technical person. Um, do you guys focus exclusively on beer or do you have members that might go into ciders or meads or, or maybe some other types right. of things that I'm not even aware of? Yeah. Um, the uh, beer judging styles that uh, the, the national styles that we all work with include uh, many categories of ciders and meads and even Perry, which is like a cider, but made from pears rather really? than apples. Yeah. It's huh. called Perry P E R R why i believe yeah okay i i can't say i've seen a, a perry entered recently in the competitions but i may not be paying attention but usually we have a fair amount of ciders uh at one point it was probably 10 eh, percent to 15 percent of the annual uh entries i think i'm seeing fewer of those now do you exactly think there's something impacting yeah i was going to ask if you, if no, you have any I, inkling no inkling whatsoever. I'm, I'm not, I, I do not make cider, so I don't really pay attention to that all that much. But you do have uh, a little bit of mead, it sounds like as well, sprinkled yep, yeah. in there once in a while. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, geez, years ago, uh, probably 15 years ago, one of our members did uh, win in the nationals, top cider of the country. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did well. Uh, and then we've had a few other uh, people have uh, gotten first place. Uh, Tom O'Kay and his brother, uh, I can't remember his, uh, his brother's name, uh, they won for an English brown ale probably 10 years ago or more. Um, oh, that's right. And the cider maker's name was Eric. I can't remember his last name now. Uh, and there's another member that good 10 years ago uh, won in – uh, I believe a wheat category. I, I forget his name, and he ha he ha hasn't been a member for quite a while. So, sure. Such is Do life. you is the Home Brewing Association or the Upstate New York Home Brewing Association is that um, like a a subsidiary of a larger national organization, or are these competitions that you encourage your members to get into? How, how does that part work? Well, um, the AHA has been around since, I want to say, 76. And our club was established in 78. And we believe we are the first homebrew club east of the Mississippi. Um, 
And I, I know there's one club that's definitely older, uh, and that's the um, Maltose Falcons. What a great name. Yeah. <laughs> They're out in California. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, yeah, they they were founded at least two years before we were. Um, but we, I, I believe we're the oldest uh, homebrew club on east of the Mississippi. And um, I'm sorry, I lost track of your question. Uh, if you guys have like a parent oh, organization the, yeah, okay, for the yeah. national competition, so so we uh, we are um, we are part of the AHA. Uh, we have a, a, a number of things going on there. Whenever we have our annual competition, we register it with AHA, and so it becomes a um, BJCP, which is Beer Judge Certification Program. Uh, sanctioned competition and what that means is um, first of all all of the judges that want to maintain their certification have to judge in uh, so, so many times a year in order to maintain that because if you don't keep up uh, keep up with whatever the minimum is you lose your certification just like okay. I guess you know it if you go out of practice as a doctor, maybe they, you lose your uh, doctor's license. I don't know. But anyway, that, that's I think you're how right that about works. That, but yeah. Okay. So, um, and uh, so, so we're part of that. There's uh, even a, uh, an insurance program that, uh, that for club insurance that is sponsored through AHA that we're part of. Um, just for general liability, so that uh, the president of Uniha doesn't can't get sued uh, personally for whatever whatever transgressions I may commit in the uh, in the operation of the club. Um, and uh, we, you know, a number of members of the club will will go to the annual meetings. The annual meetings are just really great. They have so many technical sessions it's like okay which one am i going to see go go to and sometimes there's two sessions at the same time you really want to be at both but you can't <laughs> be in two places at sure. one but the, the offerings there are great um it's also uh the the camaraderie at those uh, meetings is just absolutely wonderful the first um uh, first, I've only been to three AHAs, and uh, the first was only four or five years ago in Baltimore. And the keynote address, starting off the whole thing, was uh, Sam Cag Caglione, uh, Dogfish Head Brewery in Delaware. Now, okay. they're, what is their, they call it off-centered ales for off-centered people or something, uh, whatever they call yep. themselves. Anyway, yep. so... Sam is not a public speaker, a trained public speaker by any means, but he had everybody just jazzed by the end of his talk, just because of the love for what he does and the energy just coming out of that guy. Uh, he, had, I don't remember what he said. I just remember walking out of that room just elated. Uh, he just got everybody pumped up on, on brewing good beer. And so that that excitement is just yeah. infectious. Yeah, it, just gets it is. Everybody, yeah, really motivated. Yeah, and the uh, some of the other things that go on. They have a club night at uh, the 
nationals. So any usually more local people, but some people came from, God, a thousand miles away and brought kegs. You know, so they wow. had to drive it. Yeah, I know. That's that's insane. <laughs> but, but <laughs> and they have a club night. And so, you know, you have, you know, uh, 30 or 40 clubs that uh, brought beer to this thing. And they set up little booths all over this uh, conference room. You, not, not conference room. Function uh, room. It was actually the downstairs uh, area of the uh, Baltimore Convention Center. And... So not a small place. So for four, not a small place, <laughs> and lots of lots of room, and uh, you go around, and everybody's got you know anywhere from three to ten uh, taps going. Each club has going, and there was one 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 of the most amazing thing. There was one club that brought a twelve foot long wooden pirate ship looking thing with taps on both sides of it and they it was on wheels and they just roll it up and down the aisle wow. and stop every once in a while and hey try this right just just total insanity and uh people uh in costumes uh there was a uh, group from uh, lancaster pennsylvania that of course they dressed as what amish and then sure. <laughs> <laughs> then a group from Boston, and they uh, they uh, uh, dressed as patriots, etc. Things like that. Nice, a lot well, of fun. That that, does, that sounds exciting. It sounds like a community that's worth being a part of, whether it's at the local level or at a national level. Um, Steve, I appreciate all of your time. Um, I'm I'm hoping to be able to uh, try. My wife got a cider one, so I think we're gonna give that one a shot. And we'll we'll see how we do. But oh, now okay. I know exactly where to go to if I need some help or some resources. I can I can reach out and uh, hopefully become a member of the of the community here and and be a larger part of it. So again, Steve, I appreciate your time, sir. Well, uh, a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. <laughs>